0: Welcome to the Wolf Brothers podcast. Today we have Nathan Hayes joining us. How are you doing, Nathan? Hey guys. Nathan is has a master's in psychology. He's a resilience coach. And among among many other things, father, partner, very good friend to us. He's done some work with Wolf Academy as well, helped us out with the workshops. But that's a lot that's all the labels. That's all the labels. And the last girl that was on. The podcast just pointed that out, and that's how we always start the podcast by labelling the people, I suppose. So what I want to know and Cormac, what we what we want to delve into today today is who is Nathan Hayes without the labels? So what was it, Nathan? I suppose. Um what was life like growing up for Nathan? For me,
1: uh I moved around a lot. So that was quite impactful to be honest. Um in the fact that from a very early ages and like moved around I think 12 different times by the time I was probably 12. Um and never really learned how to like set down the roots. Um and obviously when you're moving around a lot and you're moving schools, coming into new groups, coming into new kind of uh, social situations uh is um uh is challenging but is kind of is at the forefront, is conscious. Uh, So from a very early age I was kind of conscious of uh, my presentation or how my participation in certain conversations would pull out uh, different participations in other people Um, and so that was quite formative and kind of led me down the path then towards psychology because I do kind of make the joke that you know you have to be a certain amount on the outside of normal to look back at normal and just be like, "Ooh, that's interesting." Uh <laughs> So, um it yeah, a lot of moving and it was a bit tough. Um but luckily the the path I'm
0: on actually seems to seems to suit me, so <laughs> I enjoy it. And I'm just <clears throat> In terms of moving around 12 times, was that in Ireland or? Uh, No, I was born in England,
1: moved around three different houses while was in England uh, in one school um, and then moved back over to Ireland when I was six. And that was down in Waterford with all the extended family, moved houses a few times down there, uh, then moved up to Longford. Um, Just mum felt um, just that she wanted to get away from home, I suppose. Um, so I moved school again, moved school twice then when I moved up to Longford, moved houses a few times, and then settled down just as I was coming out of primary school and going into secondary school. So secondary school was quite kind of um, settled, where I was just in the one house, I was just in the one school. But by that time, I had already kind of um, labeled, ironically kind of labeled myself as the outsider, as the... Yeah, as the outsider of groups, um, and then got into, um, got into, um, organizing gigs and stuff like that with the music, trying to actually find my own community or trying to kind of organize my own community. Cause I really found that once I got into music, um, that was a real kind of homing beacon for me where I found a place where I felt good. I felt at home and, uh, the people around were, um, I really appreciate them actually this is a question I have like when I when I go around and I still kind of have this question whether the whole um alternative music scene is that like a filter or is that an expression because for a lot of people it's an expression of of their feelings and their angst and their aggression and the kind of the bubbling hormones and testosterone that we all have like when we're kids and you know it's just that kind of ah the world isn't mine yet and I'm 16 or something like that and why am I not Rich and powerful, and why do I not have all the girls come to me and like all of this stuff? Never realizing that at 16 as a man, it's just like like what are you offering? Like, you know, you're not there yet, kid. Like, just slow down, take it easy, build yourself, and it'll come. Like, but um but um yeah, just that question of whether that music articulates and kind of um, captures that sort of essence of anger frustration and angst or whether it's some bit of a filter where you find other people who have that anger frustration and angst and you all come together and it's more kind of community based um and i kind of find like it's a mix between the two because obviously not all of us are angry and aggressive all of the time and i still listen to that sort of music i still listen to like heavy metal music when i go to the gym anytime i want to like (laughs) tap into that just primal sort of like you know fuck everyone and uh, it's like it's really heavy it's really hard oh I don't know if I could do it it's just like when you put on the music it's like
0: uh,
1: we're going we're going uh so there's, this, there's still a place forward in my life but obviously none of us are just angst none of us are just captured there and if we are just captured there well then we need to kind of jiggle ourselves around a wee bit and that's why I focus on reframing and kind of Uh, breaking frame in workshops is because when we get stuck somewhere that's you're you're paralyzed you're you're narrowed you're you're not your full self and trying to bring that into schools is like you know that's uh what what I think is needed (laughs) Mm. but um yeah I just find that yeah I've always had that question whether it's a filter because I found the best people in that music scene and I found the best community and just deep conversations and if that just fed me instead of talking quite so much about soccer which I would have (laughs) and quite so much about just kind of the everyday stuff. And Um, and what what age were you when you found that music group? uh, I found music itself when I was about 11 and that did kind of articulate it and then I got deeper into the kind of more alternative music when I would have been... 14 and that's when i found the the community and all the rest before then it would have been a lot of um soccer would have been a lot of fitness people talking about that sort of stuff competition bit of fun and it's always fun but there's a difference between that that, that's you're asking about my childhood years like that's something in my childhood is that uh, a lot of the fun was competitive It was was always within a set of rules. It was always within um, a container, a parameter. And that was where play was held. That's where this thing was located. And then it was when I found the people through music and I found this more kind of open conversation and this more kind of um, acceptance and free flow and just a bit more philosophical thought where um, play and stupidity and just kind of affect sort of attitude, kind of start to soften up those boundaries that I had for a long time. Because you can imagine if you're you're moving around a lot and it was just me and my mom at the time as well, until I only had a sister when I was 14. So um, like an only child all the way up till then. So moving around a lot with just my mom, um, just a lot of kind of uh, checking to make sure it's okay as in like, am I allowed to do this? It's like, we're in a new setting. Okay, what do we do here? Where are we going? Am I allowed to go off here? And it was always that filter before play came in. So there was always yes or no, and it was always contained because of that. So um, kind of, honestly, that's something that I still struggle with. That's something that I'm still heavily processing uh, where I'm trying to soften those boundaries and make it less um, contained, less... uh, categorized or something um so yeah it was around that age uh when I found that sort of stuff
0: um and what I just wanted to like just listening to you now it's I'm trying to put myself like in that situation myself and obviously I can't understand it because we we were in the same house the whole way growing like the whole time growing up but it must have taken like I knew speak about and work a lot around resilience yeah And I'm sure that kind of makes sense now listening because it's like at that age, I can remember, you know, when you meet new people and there's that there's always that awkwardness at the start. So it's like to be going into a new place constantly. Like, did you find was as what the way I'm thinking of it is that you'd probably nearly end up with some sort of strategy for when you're meeting people or, um, do you know, like what what, do you have like a plan for when you meet the new people again? If you know what I mean, or um, about it, or, or how did you, how did you deal with that at that age? Yeah. So there's, there's two
1: different kind of aspects to that in the strategy game. So one is conscious and one is subconscious and the conscious strategy is putting your best foot forward, making yourself uh, clean, reliable, this kind of uh, a certain type, you categorize yourself. So people are able to understand you easily. You simplify things you don't step out of line, you kind of suss out the group first and then try and find your place in it. There's a lot of this kind of um, looking for the accept or looking for the, the placement before you look for genuine acceptance. Um, and that's, that's a heavy enough strategy. And yeah, there is like just the kind of the normal strategy of just kind of uh, when you come into a group, like high energy, high guys, like, you know, it's just like, instead of just being like, yeah, it's just me or whatever. It's just like, it was like you hop into a room, hop into a group and it's like, hi guys, so what's going on? And actually, if you look back at the YouTube uh, channel, the Choose Your Chaos channel, and you look back at the very start, and this is only like two, three years ago, like when I talked, I still talked with my hands so much. And it was just, so here's a philosophy and here's a theory and this is how it sits in. And it was all very high energy because... Because, in my head, even at that age, still, um, uh, meeting people with high energy was a big priority. It was still the key strategy because if you want someone to have a good impression, you have to offer the energy. you have to bring the the energy and the kind of current of like you know where we're going to go, what we're going to do, or maybe not what we're going to do because. I'm the outsider so i'm coming into it but you're bringing energy i can do this it's like yeah you have some work you have a space on the football team it's like who doesn't like that was the question what what position does everyone not like doing so i ended up being a defender because it's like everyone wants to go off and be the attacker everyone wants to like you know score the goals and be the whoever Ronaldinho at the time or whatever fancy footballer was uh, and for myself it was just like I'll hold back. I'll hold the fort. I'll mind this. I'll be the protector. I'll be the, it's like, no, like it's, it's not showy. It's not as fancy, but I can do this really well. So that's all around like the, the, the conscious sort of strategies, but then, and I've, I've been able to kind of work through those, um, because they've always kind of been conscious. So I've kind of seen them trip myself up in social situations afterwards. And tone down how I talk because I've realized that not everyone likes being talked to with hands in the face. <laughs> and, uh, this like almost aggressive style of like attacking people with like theories, uh, even though it does come from a place of love and like, I want them to be better. I want them to be good. Um, which, um, which is its own thing. But uh, the, the unconscious strategies is that, you don't depend on people is that you can't trust anyone to be around for any period of time so you don't form the deep bonds you don't learn how to form the deep bonds you don't necessarily learn how to form um like a concept of reputation because reputation never followed me it never carried through so in secondary school I actually had difficulty with this because it was the first time I settled in settled into one place and it was the first time some mistake five years ago or some stupid thing i said carried on and actually kind of followed me and and all the rest and i was like oh i have to treat myself seriously now i can't just be the as flexible and as fluent i have to be a coherent sort of person and then that led into the whole or it didn't lead into it it added to the angst of a teenager of just like you know I hate these categories and boundaries that I'm stuck in. And like, you know, why am I in school? And why do you want me to be this way? And like, you know, uh, like I, I was one step away from coming in with like blue hair and white makeup. Like I was, I was this close. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i have just been like, whatever you expect, I don't care. Just break all the rules. Um, so it, it added, it kind of just added an extra layer to that because it was the first time I actually kind of came into contact with it, truly. Um, Just didn't have it before. Um, And even with my family and all the rest, uh, like my extended family, my cousins, my grannies, my aunts, my uncles, they held me at a distance as well. Just not like at a distance, but they would have understood that I was being moved around quite a lot that I was changing. I was quite different throughout like through different stages. Um, and very understanding very accepting they understood like you know it's difficult for a kid to to have that sort of life but it did have that lack of um, contact with reality with reputation with uh, becoming a coherent person myself so that's something that I ended up having to try to develop and kind of tackle as I got older Um, but the sense of not forming the deep connections has stuck in very strange ways. I'm still really bad at remembering names. I'm still really bad at uh, mapping out a locality, like knowing um, where the town is and like just knowing kind of the local geography of my hometown or anything like that. Uh, so Google maps is a friend forever. Uh, <laughs> and like, it gets me through all that stuff, but yeah, um, That subconscious internalizing of um, the environment always shifting and never being steady has been something that's kind of stuck with me. Mm -hmm. But on the flip side, so like just not to be like all positive or all negative and all the rest. (laughs) Positive is that me moving around so much and recognizing that the environment can change so much and that I can be a different person in different contexts Mm -hmm. has been key to me uh, doing what I'm doing doing the reframing, doing the resilience, realizing that, hey, it's like, it's almost like a, a, a cruel way of teaching stoicism or something like that. It's like, no matter what happens on the outside, there's still a witness to your thoughts. There's still that kind of center that even if everything's not coherent, even if the character, even if the clothes, even if the, the interests and the presentation are different, it's still me. Um, and that's, that's that's obviously like, uh, that's like meditation, and that's um, something that came on like way later in life. But it has served. So that's when I go into the workshops that I'm kind of like, hey, do you realize that we could change the environment? We could put on some music. We were talking the last day about putting like some sort of display or some sort of poster up the back to just change the atmosphere of the room, uh, just to get them to realize that they're not stuck in like a classroom setting as it's like okay we're in the classroom this is how I behave in the classroom even if it's a different teacher even if it's a different class even if they're encouraging me to break out of the restrictions and all the rest or the containment or the categories that teenagers just put themselves into because um, they're still trying to form they're trying to build themselves and it's very hard to build yourself if you don't get blocks of categories and try and build yourself with it So they're naturally at that stage. Um, But just getting them to just be a bit more gentle about it and a bit more kind of soft around boundaries on that um, is is the focus of the workshops. Um, And I do think that that lack of consistency made me kind of hyper aware of the
0: importance of that. And I was just curious (laughs) when I'm listening to you as to, um, and I know I'm prying here, but... um, What was the reason for all the moving? Was there one particular reason? Was it numerous reasons or?
1: Moving around was, uh, very much just according to mom and was, uh, we were in England. Um, and she had me out of marriage and, uh, had me younger, I suppose, or I think it was just the outside of marriage was the the main thing. Um, But, and then that was just her trying to kind of make her own life on her own, like bought a house um, and (sighs) was trying to settle down there. And then I got to the age of six and I started in school. And then I think she wanted at that point then to come back home and try to reconnect. Um, Actually a great story when she did meet my granddad, uh, (laughs) because it was, it was my granddad that would have been kind of strict on this one
0: and is, uh, is that with that, that like horror yeah okay yeah
1: yeah um and the redemption story was literally just that they went out i think it was at a wedding uh he was at the bar having a drink uh she went up beside him said that she'd have uh, a vodka and tonic and he bought it for her and that was just it <laughs> like that was the redemption arc like there was no kind of uh acknowledgement of being kind of shunned for like a couple of years There was no kind of um any sort of processing of the the distance or anything like that um and then when we did come back home uh, i think mom was because mom was on her own so i suppose she was kind of struggling to kind of find her way that that way as well um, and she had me so she was trying to build her best life um, so the moving around home was kind of just trying to find a place again a spot that she felt that we kind of, or that she like fit in and had that sense of community for herself. Um, And then moving up to Longford was a fact that a few of her friends lived up in Longford. And then she felt more kind of, um, that she found her community then in Longford. But even with that then, uh, the reason I moved to school then is because the first school I went to was just, it was a bit rough around the edges. Uh, (laughs) So that was uh, kind of just a practical move on her part. I'd say to put me into a different school, um, which uh, which I don't know how that was. That was the first time actually. That that last primary school that I went to was the school when I started getting bullied, and there was a lot of uh, that going on. Uh, there was a very kind of tightness sort of community there already, and I was very much the outsider in that school. Um, so that was the move there, and then I think every move after that then was just practicality when she met my stepdad now, uh moved in with him and then just moved a further time when they actually built their own house. So that was a bit of moving around there. But yeah, it was all kind of trying to find a place that she felt uh comfortable in. She felt she had a place in.
2: And Nathan, and you're gonna talk now. So um <laughs> <laughs> I was just about to jump in when yeah, Daryl's about to jump in again. But um <coughs> Yeah, and how did you find? I suppose not having that father figure around when you're in those younger years, or how would you find that was it tough as well, or how has it maybe affected you growing up?
1: It definitely affected me like hundred percent. Like there's no kind of getting away from that. Um, I really didn't kind of process it at a young age. It was very much just he was um, something that wasn't to be chased after. He was something that was to be left behind uh, for whatever reason. And it was, um, there was a separation there that felt almost natural. Um, That, and and we, like, it was growing up in the time as well. uh, Like, I was born in 93, so this is, like, 2000s. Like, this whole um, culture of, like, single moms and just, like, you know, we can all do it on our own and all that stuff was just kind of coming up and it was just, it was it was reinforced both in the home and outside the home that it's just not necessary. And that if he's not there, it's probably for a good reason and just don't worry about it. As long as you have your mom, you're set. Um, But I would like, as I said, it affected me just without a doubt because you miss the blueprint. You miss the, um, yeah, you miss the, the role model. And then you miss the role model to kind of rebel against in your teenagers or the kind of more guiding spirit, I suppose, and maybe in your teenagers, whichever way it takes. Um, and then there's also another thing, I I say this with all the love to any single parent out there. Um, it's very difficult to do a dual job with one person because the ability in a dual, like with two parents in a house, is to say, I can't manage right now, I need you to handle it. Or you say, hey, I'm going to be the authority now. I'm going to say, hey, you have to do your homework. You have to do your sports. You have to do something. And then the other person is just like, okay, but how does that make you feel? And you might kind of switch around that where the dad says like, you know, you have to do your sports and take it seriously. And the mom's just like, well, mind yourself and make sure you're okay. And then the mom might be like, you have to do your, your school and all the rest because it's really important. You want to go to college, you want to do this. And your dad's just like, well, like, you know, as long as you can do work and you're willing to work, you'll be fine. And that, like, duality, because that's where you find yourself. is. That's where I still find myself. It's mm-hmm. like, do I want more freedom or do I want more, like, discipline? And I'm always in the middle. So trying to, trying to find yourself as a kid when you don't get a dual system and you're just held to one side, um, and then it becomes... Um, as a kid, you can't help but give that one parent too much authority because you don't get because there's no arguments. As in, like, the one thing that we all give out about is, like, parents arguing and all the rest. But it serves a function because then it means that no one parent is, like, the, the master-in-chief. There's no one parent that is just above all else. That even the parents can be wrong. Even the parents argue. Even the parents, like, you know, it, it softens the boundaries. It just, boundaries between places and between rules. Um, by having two but so all apologies to any single parents out there for that one but um, I do find I I think that holds true um, and I think research kind of shows that as well but I will say on strictly like as a as a boy at the time and as a man now not having a father figure growing up and then having a stepfather and having like that's a that's another chapter there like but having no father there, um, you uh, you just don't get the blueprint. As in, my how I was informed of how to treat women was through Sex and City and Bridget Jones and every other like rom-com that was like out on in the cinema, because <laughs> that's what we watched some of the times. So you get this kind of like, um, you get this very romanticized view of what a man should be. Um, and that's a that's not how relationships work um because it's just not (laughs) like anyone that thinks that relationships are just like no uh passion only comes in the moment and isn't planned it has to be spontaneous and all the rest it's just like yeah but you have to plan a day like you have to plan the opening for the spontaneity to come through because life is busy and you to try and organize it especially if you've a kid in the house
2: I think, like, you
1: need a babysitter. (laughs) uh, But, um, so, it just... Yeah, my my blueprint of what a man should be was, like, when I was a teenager, I had a six-pack. For no other reason than I just hated, I hated the idea of the dad with the dad bod, watching the football match on the recliner, and just having his time, having like a beer or having like whatever else and having like a moment where it was just him. Because in my head, in the romantic movies and all the rest, that was the man being super selfish. And how is family not every moment of his life? How is romance not every moment of his life? And if he's focusing on work, well then again, family, love, all of this stuff, isn't that what's important? And how dare you go out and do that stuff? And obviously... As a human, <laughs> as in, this isn't this no longer becomes a gender thing. As in, just as a human, you want to build a life, you want a career, you want the things you want, and you want to be able to strive for them, push for them, without having to concern yourself with this romance image at all times. Um, so I now find myself sometimes where. It's all one or all the other. And I find it difficult to almost marry the two. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense, because it's just, there's like a natural instinct that I had to forge a path and make myself something. Um, And then there's this other part where it's like, yes, but love and family and community and uh, enjoying the moment. And um, that's still something I'm trying to integrate together. Where, I, where they flow
2: naturally between each other. Definitely, yeah. And it's funny when you're talking, a lot of it resonates with me because I don't know, I feel like there's a lot of similarities in maybe how I used to enter groups as well because maybe it would have been quite empathetic and maybe like where do i fit and i would have been the defender as well because i'm like ah i'll let everyone else go get the glory and i'll just (coughs) take this position so it was just funny when you were describing that that i was seeing myself in that um and like you were saying with everything there's like a a pro and a con to it so like maybe you're more empathetic but also maybe you don't stand up for yourself enough in certain situations or don't enforce i well for me anyway i wouldn't enforce my um what I want to do enough at the time because I'm more like easy going with the group. And um, so it's just kind of finding that balance. And even as you said there with that kind of discipline and freedom as well, like forging your path and also, you know, spending time with people and family and love. And again, something I'm continuously struggling to find that balance. And I think it's just certain what I'm realizing is more that like certain periods of my life demand certain, focus on certain areas so for example september came back it was schools were back it was time to kind of focus more on the business and doing the workshops and you know getting all that going and then but i realized only the other day actually when you messaged me saying that it's like i haven't seen your poems in a while was that Nate Nate messaged me yeah and he was like i don't know if i'm just not seeing them or are you know posting them and then i was like i completely forgot that i wasn't expressing true poetry And I was like, but I felt that something was missing. Like, there's a few other things I'm probably neglecting slightly because I'm more focused back again in the business, kind of like moving forward, building this kind of life for myself. And maybe that expression and that kind of being is slightly neglected (laughs) at the moment. And it's, I suppose it is just a fluctuation because over the summer I had loads of time to, you know, write poetry and do different things. So for me at the moment it's kind of finding like what is the time now to like lean into and how do i nurture those other areas without fully neglected any but like it's hard to have like optimal each area like optimally functioning like family work friends um, awesome. you know career right i said work like health like it's hard to get them all um and that's probably just an unrealistic goal because then you're like planning every second of the day and then you're you feel like you're in this contained yeah you've no freedom then and it's I don't know it's nearly like a losing battle when you're trying to just get perfect balance so for me I'm kind of starting to find that flow in the seasons as well like what what is like winter's coming now so it's time to maybe go more inward and and back to my meditation more and yeah, stuff like that. So I find, yeah, what you were saying there about that um, split between the two and finding the center is just—I think it's an ongoing battle for me as well.
1: Yeah, I'm being pulled, being pulled towards like non-dual sort of mythology and stuff like that. I keep—I'm um, teaching my son at the moment about Dionysus and Apollo, yeah. which is uh, two Greek gods. Where Apollo is your your headspace, your ideal, your drive, your like orchestra music, your the thing that takes discipline and mastery and um like 100 percent, like um, really ref- like fine-tuned refinement um, and then dionysus is the thing that catches your attention is the primal is the, the thing that gets your body moving is the the thing that just kind of pulls you from somewhere you maybe didn't know it was there um and then you have to balance between the two because if you just go for apollo and you just go for that discipline, hundred percent at everything, and making sure everything's fit in just right, and like you know that everything is optimized. Then you lose that vitality. You lose like the just human energy that is natural to all of us. But then, if you just focus on the natural human energy, it never actually builds up to anything because everything can catch your attention. Everything can be fun. Like it's it just it just doesn't work that way. So if you think of it like um, Apollo is like building a glass and then Dionysus is like filling it with water and you have to build up the glass to fill it. If you just have the water, it just, it doesn't build anything. And if you just have the glass, well, then it's empty. So you have to have the two and they kind of try to balance out the two. Um, And I find that um, personifying the two and making them something that I can have like a relationship with is... Is is exactly where I'm being called to because we just don't have a mythology. We don't have um, a story. Like we're storytelling creatures. As in, like what we're doing right now. If any, like whoever's watching and all the rest is being drawn in because of a story, because of some sort of um, through perhaps the story that I told that they're understanding some part of themselves that resonates because that's just how it works. And like we we all know here as well that like when we go into the do the workshops if you want to try and like give them a systematic way of getting out of stress or getting out of like a panic attack and all the rest, it just wouldn't land because, because who cares? It's just categories. It's just words or whatever else. There's no like embodiment to it. So having a relationship with it is, it's something I don't know how to phrase it. This comes back to like what I'm doing at the moment with the conversation styles. That, uh, if anyone is interested, like John Ravakey, Dialogue into dialogos Logos. Uh, I just did one of these workshops. It's amazing. And the whole premise is that you talk about a virtue and you try through the rules of the conversation, you try to get the virtue to actually almost be present in the conversation so you can talk to it, so it can talk to you. And you realize then because you personify it, that it's not fixed; it's a moving target at all times, and that's what we need to like. That that's again, or that's what I'm finding is really valuable in that non-dualist philosophy, where there's two, and that even in the two, as a person, Apollo's a thing that has flaws and has a temper and has the, like the, the pros and cons, and to truly uh, follow him is to um, is to understand the space is to understand that he is an ever-growing thing. It's not something. Hey, if I just do cold showers in the morning, if I just do uh, the walk, or I just do the fasting, or the diet, or the exercise, or whatever else as in like, like a course or like if I just do that, then I'll be disciplined. Then I'll be happy. Then I'll like whatever else. It's like, no, everything's moving. So even our goals that we're setting ahead of us, like once I get, like once I um, get up to like 50 workshops in a year, then I'll be happy. And it's like, it's better. I find it better to personify that because then My brain, without me telling it, recognizes that the goal, the destination, the place, or whatever I'm I'm worshipping, essentially, I'm putting it, I'm elevating it, is once I make it a person, then I make it a moving thing. I make it something that there's a relationship where it will change. It'll change me. I will change it. And there's this dynamic. There's this dance. There's, it just, it's so much less rigid. It's so much... Less captured and stuck, and um, I don't know what we'd phrase it, but I'm finding just um, I'm finding like non-dualist sort like I've shown you my pipe, I have, like the Jekyll and Hyde pipe, whatever. And I smoke that, and I meditate with that, and like just no matter where I'm at, um, I think of like Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. And if you're like Doctor Jekyll is obviously like all intellect. It's just the brain. It's just the words. It's the propositions. It's the science. And then hide is the the primal like source and energy and all the rest. And if you try to deny it, it becomes a monster. Mm. And also, if you like just allow Doctor Jekyll to rule the roost, then he becomes a tyrant. He becomes like an absolute iron fist. And you have to integrate the two to become a person. And a person is a moving thing. Person is you'll never understand someone fully. It's impossible, and we all know that. So to make our goals, to make the virtues, to make different ideals people means that we will never understand it fully because they will keep teaching us. Mm -hmm. Like we will constantly learn more and more from Apollo. Instead of saying discipline, once I'm disciplined, I'll be happy. If we say Apollo, then the more it just becomes a dance and then there's no destination. And then it's just about living the, like enjoying the moment and Enjoying the dance, um, oh. so I'm finding story just and characters <laughs> <Beautiful>. <laughs>
2: really yeah. powerful. Really yeah. and I think we did we did a course with Jamie Wheel last year, which I kind of we talked. Oh, I love Jamie Wheel. Yeah, he's on that book as well. Recapture the rapture, and then yeah, he he talks about that as well. It's just the stories we need now to like recapture, like what is important to us because religion has fallen. The, I suppose, religion 2.0 in a sense, or meaning 2.0 as he call it, calls it, was like capitalism that's starting to crumble. So it's kind of like people don't know what the new blueprint is. So it's finding these myths um, like Apollo Dionysus or if it's whatever mythology, like there's lots of Irish Celtic myths as well that we could like start looking to, to start understanding more about ourselves and how to navigate through the world. And I think that's for me, when you started explaining that to me as well recently, I was like, yeah, it really makes sense because I get caught in these thinking, like, oh, this is it. This is all I need to do. And then I get stuck, as you said. So it's learning how to enjoy that dance. And like, I suppose in a story, there's so much you can take like different people can take different things based on what they need from the story from the myth so I think that's the real power it's not like this is the way or that's the way because yeah I don't know I see a lot of people kind of out there maybe trying to like point away that like this is the way and it's like well it's and as soon as they say that I'm like well obviously you're wrong because there's no one way Um, but the myth (laughs) just has like that kind of wisdom embedded
1: even, even beyond
2: myth, I think we need to recapture
1: what it is to be sacred. Mm. Something sacred is something that you keep returning to and it grows with you. So even like uh, the, the symbol of like yin and yang or the symbol of the cross or like any of these things, that it like grows with you so that you come to it and you say like yin and yang, oh yeah, there is two sides to it. And like, or you come to the cross and you're like, oh yes, I'm meant to carry my burdens. I'm meant to bear myself. I'm meant to allow... The weaker parts of me to die and i'm meant to resurrect stronger or like i wear this i wear this spiral mm. i love this yeah. um and it's just a spiral um and exactly. it goes around because often i find that like if i'm going between the between the discipline and the creativity and i'm just like okay this week i'm disciplined this week i'm creative and it's just like geez i'm going nowhere i'm just going over and back it's so frustrating and it just reminds me that there's a vertical axis I'm going over and back, but I'm growing up the way as well. And that's what it is to, like, recapture what it is to be sacred, is because, like, yes, myths and stories are massive, but, like, there's myths held in symbols as well. Mm-hmm. Um, well, like, obviously, they mix they mix together. I think, like, You know, if we're going to, like, um, any of your Celtic symbols or, your, the, like, the, the trees or the patterns, the spirals, or, the, like, your hawthorn trees or the fairies and the leprechauns and all the rest... Like they are symbols for like mischievousness and different things like that. And yes, they can have stories, but they're a symbol in themselves as well. And if I return to them, I will get something from them, reminding that like sometimes power and sometimes the benevolent magic power that's above us is playful and likes to fuck with us a wee bit. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like That's what I get from like a leprechaun um, or whatever it is. But recapturing sacredness is what's needed as in science got rid of all of it. When you're on about like religion 2.0, like religion 1.0 was your, your religions, your myths, your stories. And then religion 2.0 is like, we can figure everything out like through science and through everything. We can like just mechanize everything and we can break it apart and then we can put it back together and it will still work. And it doesn't. Because some things are complicated and you can take them apart and put them back together. But some things are complex, which means that there's a load of like ground, different things, and things then just manifest out of them. And this isn't to mean like magic or anything like this, but this is to mean like when you're a gardener and you're tending soil, like there's a ton of different factors of like how many creatures, how many fungi, how many bacteria, like all, and how many plants and how do they interrelate? And then just, and you can't necessarily predict that. The weather is another great example. As in like, we can have a good estimate at what we like, what we think is going to happen, but like we live in Ireland, lads, so like we know that the weatherman's wrong half the time. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, and it's it's just that. Um, and I, actually, I find if you've come across Ian McGilchrist, um, who goes on about the left and right hemisphere, I find his con- concept of that is, is is really powerful, and it links all of this stuff in together. But like, for anyone that's kind of um, that's listening to this. That's just kind of like, oh, they're going on about symbols and they're going on about myths and like, you know, all this like woo woo stuff is just like, okay, grant, like let's, let's put a bit of like science sort of stuff on it and we'll still recapture imagination. <laughs> and he goes on about the fact that there's two hemispheres and every animal has this. And we used to always think that like one hemisphere was creative and the other was like analytical. And, but like a lizard doesn't have that and a hippo doesn't have that. Like who, like, you know, I haven't seen Shakespeare. Right now, yet Like you know, where is he? Uh, <laughs> because because that's not what it does. The two hemispheres is the fact that when the animal is doing something, there's an opponent processing. There's always two, which is comes back to like even my own story myself. Like, but there's always two. So if you're like a gazelle in a field, you want to eat the food. You want to see what food is relevant. Like you know, I eat this plant. I don't eat that. Those sharp little leaves or whatever. And I'm eating. And then you're going to have the other hemisphere, which is your right hemisphere, which is looking on the periphery, which is just keeping an eye out on what could be. So if that makes sense, that your left hemisphere is what you can grab, what you can hold, what you can take, and then your right hemisphere is what could be on the outside. And now it makes sense because all animals need that, all animals have that. And just in the last like 200 years, we focus so much on what we can take and what we can hold in our hand and we've just lost everything like to do with imagination to do with intuition like anything that's just kind of like what's what's maybe on like on the periphery as in like not this like tangible oh that's definitely a lion it's like no if you know it's definitely a lion you're dead because it has you because you left it too late (laughs) because you took too long figuring it out and then just no it's like but that, like, just part of your brain was like, ooh, did I see something there? And then it's like, what could that be? And then we get into imagination, then we get into storytelling, and then we get into, like, everything that makes us human. Mm. Uh, Well, we can all all debate that one. Uh, (laughs) But having the two hemispheres, you have your left hemisphere, which is reason and science, and then you have your right hemisphere, which is imagination and, and intuition. And we need all four. This is not, like, as in, like, We don't want to get rid of science, as in, we have enough people being like, we have enough of that. And we don't want to get rid of reason because then we're just going to be floating off into the fucking ether and just, you know, this is your whole like postmodern, like nothing's real, everything's possible, like multiverse, like whatever sort of, just why bother? Like, you know, if everything's possible and nothing's real and just, and we like, just why bother everything's just imagination we're all just in the matrix this is just a simulation and just no <laughs> Where, where's the vitality where's the where's the spirit where's the soul where's the everything so you need the imagination and you need intuition now we all know what intuition is and even though it's a bad word and science has totally destroyed it because of, by the way like if you want like a better version of this like watching Ian McGilchrist uh he has a new book out um Not mastering his emissary um, is the new one. I haven't read the new one yet. Is um, (sighs) the matter of things, I think is what it's called, uh, or the matter with things. Um, But science has kind of destroyed what intuition is because, like, there's so many of the psychology experiments where, like, look, we can trick these stupid humans and they'll think that this shorter line is longer than this line. And you've seen all like the optical illusions. How is this box the same color as this box? How, like, just look how stupid we are. But like he likes, like I'll quote him in the build He's just like, you don't go into a, like a house of mirrors or any of those visual effects and just be like, oh my God, I was tricked. Well, that's it. I'm just going to give up my eyes. And like, you know, they're useless. It's like, we don't do that. <laughs> um, so like intuition is the same thing. Intuition is massively powerful and we need to kind of recapture it and I can preach this and talk this doesn't mean I've done it but the thing like I'm trying to work on my intuition but the thing I have kind of worked on and I I am working on is imagination and imagination can be brought like broken into two different things and this is where I really feel that we're stuck um is because we are fed so much imagination so much comes to us and And let me break up imagination first. Imagination can be imagination and fantasy, or else you can say the imaginal and imagination. It depends which philosophy you want, so kind of, which lineage you want to follow. But the difference is one alters your state and looks at reality and says, that's interesting how things change when I change. And then the other fantasy is when you change the world and you're just like, I would be so cool in that world if only the world was this way, if only the grapes didn't have seeds, if only, like, if only I didn't have to clean up, if only I didn't have to mow the lawns, if only, like, if only the world surrendered and got on its knees for me, well, then I'd be amazing. And that just doesn't serve anyone. It doesn't make us stronger. It doesn't actually progress us anywhere. It's just fantasy, but imagination powerful as hell because if you go around and you're just like think of so like kids do this the whole time naturally they'll pretend to be a superhero but they won't just like they don't even need the cape or the sword or anything like that they just look at the world as the superhero looks at it so like like we all know zorro at our age um geez, you'd think i was old like holy crap <laughs> either way like imagine like what would zorro like, you know, you can just imagine the mask on your face and you can imagine then through that mask, there, like, there might be like a lens, like glasses that you look through, not something you look at. Because if you're looking at it, then you're doing fantasy. Then you're like, then you're fixating on the details. Then you're left brain again. But if you're looking through it and you're looking into the world and saying, how does the world change when I look at it this way? Mm. Then that's the imaginal. And then that's you stretching yourself and really uncovering yourself. And that's where I'm focused at at the moment. That's why the non-dualism is speaking to me. That's why the personification of virtues and of uh, the Greek gods and all the rest. And that's why I'm getting into this conversation style that's trying to present the virtues. So you get a real kind of interaction with something that's unknowable. Mm-hmm. And I think that's... Okay, so clearly I like this stuff and I'm quite passionate about it. And you're asking for like, as in I've gone well into like abstraction and like, you know, here's the, here's the theories and all the rest. And I apologize for all this. But if you want me to link it back into my story, this is me trying to soften all the edges as in like, we're in a society, we're in a world and I lived my life in a way where the rules and boundaries for what was acceptable in different places, they were really hard boundaries. And I'm finding that through imagination, and escaping from fantasy, ironically, (laughs) um, is how I'm softening those boundaries. And it's what I'm trying to do. And it's what I'm going to like, I'm trying to offer in the workshops and schools. And when I'm getting the conversations going in the dialogue, dialogue into D logos, it's exactly what I'm trying to do is to just try and use the imagination and try and forget about the fantasy. And then also maybe just forget about the intake of imagination and fantasy, because like movies do have imagination, they do stretch us a little bit, but they're all given to us. So our own machinery for coming up with this stuff, of our own journey, of what's relevant to us, as in like, my imagination will tear me and move me in ways that are totally different uh, to someone who was raised by their dad. They will need a very different imagination to tackle and unweave that whole thing. And the real powerful self-transformation that I'm finding is when my own imagination is like, if you've read Jung, you'll know this. This is like self-individuation. This is the whole thing where you have to go down, you try and find your soul and speak to it, and your own projections will come up, and they will be specific to you just because you see like a dove or something like that. A dove might mean something very different. It might not be peace. Maybe, you, maybe a dove flew into your face when you were three and you never got over it. And it's, ah, jeez, it's a dove. Like, as this could, you know, it could be really different. So let's not hold on to that. It has to be personal. And if you want to do that work, the imagination is really powerful. To get there, you have to listen to your intuition. And just being fed it the whole time is dulling us down so much. And then all we're left with is the left hemisphere and the science and the reason and just and that's where I find myself this conversation is an example of it <laughs> I think mm-hmm. I've I've reasoned my way through this whole thing you are asking me about personal details and I was just like well here's the reasons why I'm doing what I'm doing um mm-hmm. so it's a constant struggle and um I don't know I would love to see Jamie wheel become something far more celebrated than he is I would love to see Ian McGilchrist be known I'd love to see John Fakey be like a pope uh, <laughs> <or> <laughs> maybe, maybe not as in like maybe John, we'll put like John V yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh Johnny V yeah we we, <laughs> we can play with that
2: but um yeah I think what you're saying there, Nathan. yeah I think like Again, for me, I suppose I have a different way of looking at the things, but I think we're looking at it um, the same way, just maybe with different words. Like, because what I've noticed recently, like with my life the way it is now, like I'd be big into like imagination and like creating your future, visualize your future is like the name of the online course I created. And with the students, I get them to you know create what they want their future to look like in five or ten years using that part of like imagination and like thinking big and breaking frame and and i suppose what i've realized now in my own personal life that like sometimes i feel like oh like i start looking at all the things that are i'd prefer like fantasy as you said i'm kind of using your language now but i i would look at it at life, how it could be better. It's like, oh, if only I had this and only this was changed. But then when I'm in a different frame of mind and I start looking at my life, I'm like, this is literally the life that you you couldn't even dream of back 10 years ago. Like if I had 10 years ago, if I knew I'd have this life now, I'd be so grateful. And then when I do flip that and start looking, when I'm in a better place, my mind just shifts perspective, like the lens I'm looking through and like everything in my life is amazing. And it's it's just such a, shut, a subtle shift in the lens I'm looking through. Like nothing changes in my life, but everything changes because of my viewpoint. And it's yeah. it's been a really big lesson just lately because I'm like, I can be like on the top of the world one week with the way my life is. And I'm just like, oh my God, I'm enjoying it. Even washing the dishes, I'm like, I fucking love washing the dishes, um, which I actually do. It's like cleanses my mind. But And then another week I can just see like, oh, I have to do this and I have to do this talk and I have to go and do this. And then it's com- like nothing's changed, but my whole experience is different. And I feel like if people could, there's a fellow, Michael Neal, who wrote this book, Supercoach, and it's one of his like key lessons in coaching. is just like it's not reality. It's our thoughts about reality that. Mm. effect that create our experience so it's just like mm. your reality
1: talking about it there when yeah. you're saying like you know sometimes like it's you're enjoying even doing the dishes and then you're saying that you have to and you're even like i can even see it in you where you're kind of like it's a it's a force mm. but it's almost lifeless it's almost just kind of like have to do this My house. like that's exactly the feeling of just like the tyrant just having to do it mm-hmm. but the thing is I would like just when you were talking about that, and you're on about your course for um, writing out where you want to be and all the rest. There's great, like, there's a really good experiment, and they went into um, a college <clears throat> and uh, they asked, um, or it wasn't a college, I think it was a bank, or what was this? It was professions. Why can't I remember this? It was educated. I can't Maybe it was the lecturers, actually, it might have been the lecturers, the teachers. Um, but they went in and they, like, went through like a business course and said like, you know, here's how to save. Here's why you should save. Here's like what you could get. Here's like all the promises and all this other stuff. It's like, okay, great. And then they went back like three months later and had any of them started saving? No, (laughs) just because they didn't. Um, But then you get them to do is where they actually imagine their future selves Hmm. and they imagine themselves as a four-year-old as a six-year-old, and really like paint the picture, like the life you want to have, but make it a person too, so that you have the relationship with it. And then, like I think, eighty percent of them start saving. Wow. And it's just like that. It's it's, it, it's the exact same thing, like like. Mm-hmm. But again, it's just the lens. It's personifying it. It's just softening the borders, the boundaries. It's making it just a little bit less like uh, Apollo and a bit more Dionysus where it's just a bit more embodied. It's just a bit more kind of primal.
0: Mm.
1: So it's like, honestly, like everyone's doing great. Everyone's doing their morning routine, their workout, like everyone's doing loads. And it's just making a relationship because like, because what serves you today might not serve you tomorrow. And like everything that's like, we're growing people, we're moving targets. So just i think i think like you're you're linking into like the old irish myths and stuff like that and i think there's just something about that that is so powerful because everything is a spirit everything is like a character everything is something to be related to mm. it's not something just to be extracted from it's not just i want i have like it's not that it's a relationship there's like how to treat it there's some sort of reciprocal relationship to it and i think if we could just introduce that into all aspects i think that would be fucking amazing mm.
0: <laughs> it's, it's wow. funny like listening to you talk there and it just kind of set me on a little train of thought of the stuff that i'll be doing today and i feel really excited for it now mm. awesome. yeah, i feel really excited now just it is just when you have that realisation that it is just the way you view things, it is just the way you look at things. So, yeah, that actually was...
1: What are you getting up to today? Aye. What are you getting up to?
0: Well, after this, I'm going to head down to the river because I'm getting into the river every day or the sea, just into the cold water every day up until the point where for the next, the 1st of October till the 28th because I'm heading to Peru on the 28th so far, each day getting in the sea and up in the time every day. And then later on, Cormac's doing the, the men's the men's birth book ceremony later on. So, um, yeah, we're really looking forward to helping yeah. them with that as well. What I wanted to touch on is like we're all into this self-development, self-discovery, looking in at ourselves, like me and you, Nathan, and Cormac as well. Yeah. We've all had some like really cool deep conversations on on these things on behaviors and patterns and, and different things. What was it or was there a point in your life that you remember where you decided I'm gonna I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna look inward, I'm gonna start this journey. I
1: think it kind of landed on me more than something that I really kind of... Okay, so like, there's a, there's a funny story. Like the reason I got into psychology was because I had the premise that I always wanted to be a steroid. I wanted to be something that made someone else bigger and stronger. And again, this comes from the story that I've, I've told, like of growing up and moving around and having angst and not necessarily taking priority or asserting myself but I was trying to find the way that I fit in. And I always found the best way of fitting in was to bring someone else up. So that was my kind of philosophy as like a teenager. That's when that came around. Uh, I used to call it the eternal plus from physics, where you had like uh, positive and negative um, charges that they bounce off each other. And I was like, I'm going to be the plus that never changes to a minus. So no matter how many times I get hit with the negative, I will turn them into pluses if I can and But I will always be a plus. So I, will, I will, that's, that's kind of how that started. But the funny thing is, I used to watch Frasier. Do you remember that show about the two psychologists? Okay. So that's what got me into psychology, was because I liked these two brothers, and I thought they were just, I, I thought they were smart, intelligent. They had, like, a nice house. And I was like, that looks awesome. There's no psychology in that show at all. I was like, there's feck all it was just something about it where I was like it was funny it was it was a bit more genuine than the other sitcoms or like I don't know what way it, it kind of grabbed me but it just kind of like floated in my mind it's like oh that's interesting um and then it just turns out I went to college and I did it and um I like maths as well so it kind of suited me that way and then I started really started like really liking the theory and like just brainstorming everything and uh, one of my friends, uh, Joanna, who I still love dearly, um, and uh, she was the the discipline, and I was just the the oddball that would just mix theories together, and she'd help me structure it. She was she, she was very helpful, <laughs> uh, formative, I'd almost say. Um, so that's where I was when I was in my like undergrad, and it was very theory based. And then there was just something along the lines, like I did my master's and it like, I know my master's really stuck out to me. I'm trying to think, I don't know if it, I was starting to kind of read and do a bit more beforehand, but in my master's is when I looked around the class and I was like, would I go to any of these people for advice? And I was, just kind of like, and I was like, it's fun. I like the conversations. I like, Theory. I like the kind of the science and trying to break it apart and trying to figure people out and all the rest. But I was just like, if I was coming as a person with my own problems, instead of as like a curious person, just wondering about the world, like, would they have the weight to hold me in place while I was being a bit frantic or while I was being a bit unsteady? And I was like, no. And then I was just like, A, why am I looking for that outside of myself? And then B, it's just like, am I embodying that? Like, am I, am I doing that myself? Like, I love my theories. But it's just on a personal level, like, am I develop, Am I acting them out? Am I actually testing them on myself? Am I reading Jung because, like, now I can teach it? Or am I reading Jung so I can actually, like, go in and figure it out? Um, now, there was a lead-up because there was symbols and there was, like, the archetypes and stuff like that that fed into me and I un- I understood just how much that opened the world up as I'm like understanding the hero's archetype of starting in the small town, going off into the wild, battling it, coming up against the dragon, the biggest, scariest, most magical thing you can find, slaying the dragon and then bringing the gold back to the small town, the safe place and being the hero. Understanding that that's the journey of every story as I'm like that's the most compelling story that we can tell ourselves and we all are our own heroes we go out and we tackle the arsehole manager or we or we tackle the the difficult part of our relationship or we tackle that unspoken thing between you and your parents or you tackle that hard relationship with your kid or your friend or the community or whatever it is that you tackle it And you go and you go into the depths and you try and find what's not good enough in you. And you try and slay the darkness, the weakness, because the weakness often comes up as anger and big and dark. And then you slay it and you realize it. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) But unlike that opens up so much of the processing of what I was going through in life. And I understood that but there was just something about it when I was in the masters and I was surrounded by a load of people that were all theory focused and all the rest. And I was just like, I don't care about this slip of paper. I I do not care about this as in, because it means nothing because, because we're like, it's not filtering anyone and it's not, it's not, it's not, it's offering the theories, but not the right relationship with the theories. It's, it's what happened to Christianity 300 years ago, where it became about the story rather than the relationship with something higher than yourself. It's what happened it, like it, it's, it's what happens when the left hemisphere just overtakes. And it's just, no, you have to have the right hemisphere, the imagination, what could be, where can I find it? Not where can I read it? Where can I grab it? Where can I hold it? Where can I prove it? It's where could maybe I find it and am I willing to take the risk of being wrong and just like going up to a friend and just being like hey okay I actually can't think of this now on the fly (laughs) but some sort of some sort of thing where you're like uh the way you're dealing with me the way you're engaging with me I just don't like anymore and I think it's because like I'm just healthier without you that might be like a kind of a very naive kind of teenage sort of process where someone's just like, no, you're not treating me right. So I'm just going to, I'm going to leave you behind. And then eventually you might realize it's just like, Hey, they were triggering a part of me. They weren't triggering all of me, but they were triggering a part and maybe then like uncovering that part, but just being willing to just make the mistake of, of actually internalizing it and actually just being like, I think this is toxic. It's like, Actually, no, I'm just being triggered. And then I think, is this me being triggered? Or am I like, am I now self-sabotaging and being a total masochist? Like, no, that's actually toxic. It's like, oh, okay. (laughs) And just being willing to be wrong and being willing to play the game. That's it, just being willing to play the game. And I found that just in the Masters. I don't know, there was just something about it where it just, it was a slap across the face because Growing up, I was so focused on get on going to college and getting the search. It was such it was embedded in me. Like my mom really set that in where I I was going to college and I was getting, I was going to be educated. And then there was something in that where I was just like, I don't care. Like just the paper means nothing. I'd never go to half those people for advice. And some of the best people for advice don't have the qualifications. So I need a different system of figuring out. Who to go to and then automatically that's just now i need to start using my intuition and now i need to start using imagination and it just totally took me away from that left brain tyranny
2: well yeah i think it's mm. so true it's like all them pieces of paper and like even what when we go into the schools and we're like yeah we have the qualifications but it's more about who we are. Like it's the embodiment. It's like, because we do the practices and we, it's not just because you have the theory, like, as you said, they're not going to listen to that. But, um, in terms of like your own then I suppose, journey into yourself to like start embodying some of that, like what, and you said yourself there, why do you need to look outside of yourself for, for the help? Like you should, you know, it's all within. So like, how did you, I suppose, start that inner journey? What was your first, um, because that's did you go into the breath work or the psychedelics or what how did you get started on that? I wanted to, I wanted to get to the ayahuasca. I know, I point. I knew Daryl did, so that's <laughs> why I, I said psychedelics. Yeah, but ayahuasca. <laughs> um
1: it was I think playing with states, I think if I wanted to like really source it back, like I used to meditate when I was a teenager. Um the music I would listen to to get me like focused. I got really big into the gym in like early 20s. And again, I'd use that to focus and then I'd use classical music to relax and just this playfulness with um, with the lens I was using to look at the world. And then between college and then for Vicky was very influential. I'm not going to lie. Vicky, for, any, for anyone that is like overly analytical and overly scientific, he's exactly where you want to be because he is... He's he's a lecturer, he's a psychology lecturer over in Toronto, and offers a very kind of systematic way of saying, "Hey, just because you know the words doesn't mean you know what it, how to do it." As in, you can tell me how to catch a ball, it doesn't mean I can catch a ball. <laughs> you have to learn that process. Um, so that was really influential. But I will say, um, breathwork was. I will say that probably, yeah, I'd say psychedelics um, gave a lot of that life or something like that. As in, where I'm at at the moment, where I'm trying to have a relationship and I'm trying to personify different ideals and I'm trying to personify different things because I'm trying to enjoy the journey and have this relationship process rather than this, I need this, I don't need this, like that sort of process, having this relationship process. Psychedelics kind of just, Added Colour to that You added A bit of magic to that It just is open, Opened me up to just how Relational everything was um, Which is something that I'd kind of i thought about I'd meditated on But it Just landed it a bit deeper And made it kind of like a felt experience mm-hmm. And that allowed me to kind of say, to take it more seriously. Um, it's very difficult. As in the minute you get into that world, you're immediately getting into stuff that's kind of beyond words and very difficult to like articulate. But like one thing I do remember was the first time I ever did ayahuasca. Um, and I can remember that on the second night, I was trying to um, purge. I was, I was feeling really sick and i was like oh i like this is awful and i just got this image of this old woman by a fire it was it was the only time i had an image i had no other visuals at all through the whole thing but this was one visual that came through and it was light it was it was a very light touch i like it was deaf i don't know what it wasn't vivid or stark or anything like that but what was vivid was her laughing at me and it was just that I was feeling sick and I could recognize this spirit or this projection or whatever way you want to conceptualize it. But I was just imagining this of this like mama ayahuasca and her there just laughing at me. I was like, oh, I'm feeling awful. And it's like, oh, it's like, and I, but in my head, I was just like, Do you know what? I feel terrible, but I know it's coming. And I was like, you can take this, but you're not going to take away this feeling that I now have. You're not going to get take away this realization that everything's connected, that we don't we need to stop worrying about the plants and we need to start worrying about the soil where it comes from and this like emergent quality rather than this building quality. Mm. And I, she just kept laughing, and I was like, okay, okay, no worries. If if you're not going to take it, then we'll sit down and we'll do some work and we'll think like you know we'll meditate. And we'll do no worries, and she's just there laughing, and I was like. Yeah. Oh. It's like, poof, stomach's really going. It's like, oh, this is, it's like, if you're going to take it, like, you know, take, take it. It's just like laughing again. It's like, oh, I said, like, oh, okay. If you're not, okay, we're going to sit down. It's like, okay, we're not going to do this. This went on for like five minutes where I was just this back and forth. And then I was like, I swear to God, this is the only visual I've had all weekend. And I'm spending my time talking to what I think is a spirit. And I'm talking about my stomach. I'm talking to something that could be something way bigger than me. And I'm here talking about my human intestines and how they're just a bit knotted right now. And I'm a little bit uncomfortable. (laughs) Because they're laughing at me. And so I go out, like, I just, I'm just like, I can't believe I'm spending so much time just concerned with this. This is ridiculous. Let's sit down and do some actual work. And let's think about childhood let's think about me what is going on and the minute I did it was just and it all came out that was it like the minute I surrendered into it and was just like why am I holding on to this this human stuff it's like surrender let it she's there thank you and it just all came out and then I sat down and I was like okay I'm ready to work and she's there laughing at me she's like go up and get another cup so and I was like, oh, like, no, I can't do that. Like, no, no. And I just sat there and I was like, I'm taking a few minutes. And she's like, no worries at all. I, like, no, none of this was spoken. None of this was spoken. This is all no. in my head. The only vi- like thing I did hear was her laughing. And the message I got was, you stupid human thinking that you know, because again, you think, you know, you need discipline? No, you need creativity? No. It's like you stupid human that you keep going between the opposites and you don't realize that the path is down the middle is between it's where you're at. It's being torn. It's the crucifix It's being torn between two sides and holding onto them and just being opened up and being unfolded. I was like, you stupid human. <laughs> that was the message that came through. And then 10 minutes later, I go up, I have another cup and I sit down and I was like, okay, I'm ready now and she left that was she left (laughs) and I went off and I had just a different journey afterwards and all the rest and it was just (laughs) that was I don't know it added so much life and color and maybe it's just a fun story or maybe it's a fun experience or but but like oh I say that to try and calm down everyone that hasn't done it and everyone that's anxious about it and like like. I recognize it. It's not for everyone. I'm not trying to prescribe it. I'm not trying to say anything like that. All I know is that for me, it just unfolded me. It tore me apart. Having her laugh at me was a revelation that yin and yang wasn't just a symbol to look at. It was a symbol to look through. And the minute you look through the world or through it at the world and you see that everything has two sides. And if you think it's one or the other, you're just wrong and you stupid human and she will laugh and she's <laughs> like this like i'm so glad i set all of this world into motion because i just get to sit back and i get to watch these daft apes fucking try to like find fire and then like do all this other stupid stuff and just tear themselves apart trying to trying to do it and not realizing that the whole process is all about being torn apart and being opened up and being unfolded it's not it's so much more gentle and so much more beautiful if you accept life for what it is. Mm-hmm. And that was just, it really added color. It really just let me hold on to something truer and let me, um, I suppose, refine sacredness, which is what I was on about early, earlier, but just refine that relationship with things. But with everything, that's where like, cause I had it with symbols, I had it with different things, but it was like, here's a sacred thing. Here's something else. And now it's more like, like I'm looking at stuff and it, like everything's a process now instead of a thing. As in like this, like I have a cup here. And instead of looking at it as like a cup that's held and fixed and will forever be, it's like, no, it's a process. It was clay. It was forged and made into a cup it will break and it will rot. Like there's a life, there's a a life story to everything. And just look, yeah, it just, it stopped me taking things for granted. Stopped me taking the ground beneath my feet for granted. That these things that I have will be mine forevermore. And it's just like, no, I'll change. They'll change. The world will change. Everything's a relationship. And it really just set that in deep.
0: Mm. Like that, that um, analogy you used, I've heard someone use it before and it's very true. It's like, I think sometimes for me as well, it's like life was, was very black and white. And then, and then all of a sudden it's just like so much of a load of paint all over it and just splashed all this color onto it. And my first ever experience with ayahuasca was definitely the, um, the biggest, biggest turning point for me um, in, in my life and, only recently kind of figured out what it was that I, because sometimes I can be driving the car. I can be just doing random things and I get this feeling. I nearly even get a visual, but I've never been able to figure it. It's so blurry. I get this feeling and it's complete calmness, complete. Like there's just no worries in this feeling. There's no anything. It's just complete peace, complete calm, complete love, I suppose. And it comes back to that first feeling because on that first night like you or I don't, I can't remember if you said that but there was nothing, nothing seemed to be happening for me there was one woman in a red cloak appeared on my right shoulder at one point briefly and she disappeared and when I and I was sitting there, first ever experience with it, waiting, waiting, waiting where's it happening, when's it going to happen, when's it going to happen and I then, I just decided to lie back a little bit and I was like okay look, I accept that I was like, there's another two nights after this. It's not happening for me tonight. And I kind of lay down a little bit. I don't know if I fell asleep. I don't know what happened. But all of a sudden, I was just in it. And the feeling, like you said, there was no words. But I heard words through a felt sense. And it was, um, I'm here. And it was like that feeling. that It's that same feeling that comes in at times. And and when I, it's... it's it's an unconditional mother's love. That's what it is. And I would never felt it before. Not saying that my own mother didn't try and give it to me, but I never felt it. And then that's what has changed my life is having felt that I'm realizing that this now. And like you said, it's not for everyone. It's not for everyone, but uh, like, yeah, it's, it, it has massively, massively changed my life. And,
1: will say that that mother's love resonates as in like being held and recognizing that while everything has a relationship and everything's moving that there is a space for me there and and I have the relationship with things around me as in like there's just there is room and it's okay to be like just again that unconditional love like that's That that was a big part of it as well. Isn't like recognizing the the relationship, recognizing that for once I didn't have to subserve myself to all of it as I naturally respected it and I naturally understood how powerful all of it was, but I didn't have to surrender so that I could be accepted. Mm. It was just magic. It's like even if you don't, even if you fight it, you're All angst. Well, you're alive and you're part of the world, so you're going to have the relationships.
2: You know what I mean?
1: It's just like whatever is is.
2: And it's, I think it's like that experience. It's like that you nearly are like just love, like you. You know, I said to myself, "Like, you know, you need to love yourself." But it's like when you experience, like, you are like literally like love coming Mm -hmm. from your being at your deepest. It's like that's where you come from. Your source is like love unconditional and like you feel that from the mother, but in a sense it's you're connected to that. So it's it's a feeling that once you experience it, it's hard for someone to really take that away from mm-hmm. you fully because you know deep down it's like, well yeah. I'm that love is inside me always. And it's like I might not love my feel like I love my human self at this moment, but that's the journey when you get back to integrate. But it's that part of you that's deep that is just at the core it's like where we come from is love in, in my opinion anyway and from what i've experienced i think that's something yeah, no one can take after that experience
1: I, I can even argue it for you if you want as in, I, I really do think that love like is the is the solid foundation because if you think like what's our most primal experience what's the thing that we cannot deny like can we deny greed and wealth and wanting can we deny physical pleasure can we deny honor and reputation. Yeah, we can deny. Like You know, I can do without that. You can't deny pain. Pain will overtake absolutely everything Mm. because when you're in pain, you just, it becomes feral. It becomes just, I will do what it takes to get out of this because pain dominates everything. So if pain's the ultimate substance of reality, that's a hard world. But we all know that the one thing that does overcome pain is love. So if that doesn't make it the most fundamental essence, because if you are in pain, you will suffer it for the one you love. If you have a child, you will bear any weight for that child. If you love, you will bear and you will forge and you will find a way. And you will find a way of also tackling the pain, but you will no longer let it become your dominant, just focus. It will no longer be that. It'll, it will no longer be your north star. Love will be will reorientate you, and then pain will come second, and you will find a relationship to Ooh. mitigate the pain and to ease it and to make yourself stronger. And you will find everything else afterwards. But love eclipses pain, just at a fundamental level. Mm. And I think. I think a a true connection and a true contact with love, I think, I think you're totally right. I don't think you can, I think that's a gift that just keeps that, that lasts a lifetime. Like that, that is just a once off gift that is just invaluable.
2: Mm -hmm. Definitely, man. Mm. Love, love for all the way. (laughs) I think that's a good way to end. We figured it out in the end. Um, Oh, we solved the world, yeah. Love is all you need. But uh, yeah, that was, for me anyway, really enjoyable to listen. I feel like I could actually just sit and watch you talk on the telly. Mm. Um, (laughs) I just turn on an episode of Nathan going on a talk and just really enjoy it. So I was kind of taken on a journey there. So that was really cool. And just, you did mention close to the start, but you didn't elaborate on the,
0: the Choose Your Chaos is your YouTube channel, yeah? yeah. For anyone that's listening that Once might want to on the telly. go on what you want to tell What is it?
1: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if you found that interesting, uh, yeah, no worries. Um, if you do want, like my current project at the moment is the dialogue and steel logos. So if you want, you can leave like um, my email in the uh, footnotes below. And just contact because i'm going to set these up but it's a very experimental uh sort of um conversation style like for vicky and guys sense um they've only done it four times like they're only discovering exactly what it is how it works and all the rest like it's a very uh it's a very infantile sort of thing that's uh kind of coming out so um if anyone does want to reach out um and have, these kind of structured conversations where you essentially are in a group four and you try to pull apart a virtue and you each have your perspective and each of is right and each is wrong. So you get this like almost space in between. And the only way I can phrase it is it kind of feels like a wine tasting where you kind of just recognize the flavors and all the rest, but you never grab it because you can't, because the virtue is something that moves and is living. So um, if you're interested in that sort of, Conversation, uh, or if you're actually no, I will say if you're feeling disconnected from communication, if you're finding that communication and conversations just aren't necessarily worth it anymore, and they're just they're a lot of hassle, and maybe you've social anxiety because they're not working out half the time, and they're just risky and they're awkward and like whatever else, just reach out. Um, I will set up a couple of these groups to practice, and all the rest. They are structured, so there's no real social awkwardness. There's no small talk, um, unless we want to have small talk afterwards. But it tends to go off. <laughs> uh, so, and then, and all that's expected is that we just build the fire. So we just build the logs, and if the fire takes place and takes light, and you actually get a felt sense of coming into contact with virtue closer than you would have had beforehand then amazing but if not we're just building the fire and if it sparks great and if it doesn't we'll just try again and we'll but that's all that's expected that's all that's asked for is just to offer uh, something to the fire of what the virtue is offer your thoughts on what the virtue is and just see how it goes so for anyone that if that calls to you if you're feeling just Disconnected from communication, I will say it revitalizes your faith in communication. Um, so drop me an email on that, and uh, if anyone's interested,
0: yeah, Kuma, cool, we'll, we'll we'll stick all your details in the
2: in the bio. Awesome. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to getting down to Sligo or yeah. over to Sligo and doing the circling with you at some stage. So, oh, I can't
1: wait to do them in person. That's going to be amazing.
2: Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, and it's been a pleasure man and uh, it's also a pleasure having you working with us with wolf academy and um, i think you bring really new and interesting perspective to the students yeah and that kind of fun energy and humor that, but uh, yeah i really appreciate it man and it's been a pleasure getting to know
1: you oh guys i lo- only love for you like it's awesome what you're doing and like it's uh as you said earlier i think it's uh all tackling the same problem and just looking at it from different perspectives. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, like a, a, a peer in the truest sense of the word, where we're all peering into the one space and we're all just figuring it out.
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right. and thank you so much, man. Shalom.